Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Well, you know, we usually have goals and we set out plans for the year. But because this year is so uncertain, we have a theme. And that theme is keeping hope alive because we really believe that our spirits need to be lifted, our hearts need to be lifted, and we need to be people who trust God without wavering. They say that recently two Christians met each other and because of COVID they couldn't shake hands, but what they were doing was they were shaking their heads. Indeed, because we're living in such difficult times, people are shaking their heads. Now, I want to make a statement as I kick off today that we must keep hope alive because hope keeps us alive. When you don't have hope, not only does faith die, but you could physically die. And Martin Luther once put it like this. He said, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. Every single action we do is done by hope. We get married in the hope that it will be good. We go into business in the hope that we can do trade. And so everything is done by hope. When we live without hope, we literally shrivel up and die. I was reading about the prisoner of war camps in Korea and in Vietnam, and they were saying that the prisoners suffered from what was called give up-itis. They began to become so discouraged because of the grim conditions and the apparent loss of the prospects of freedom that they started to become negative and they, they got into despair. Then they stopped eating and drinking. And they spent their time staring blankly up at the roof and drained of hope, they say, these prisoners eventually wasted away and died. Can you see when you don't keep hope alive, you can die. Last week I mentioned a book called Two Who Survived. It's the story of Max and Rose Schindler. And before she passed away in 2019, she used to travel around speaking to people and this is what she used to say to them. If I didn't have hope, I wouldn't be here today. But you know, at every book signing while she was alive, she would sign her name, but then she would write these words, never give up hope. Because hope is what keeps you alive, not only in a prison camp, not only during wartime, but right now during this time of lockdown and some of the real challenges that we're facing. You may have seen the books Chicken Soup for the Soul. There's a wonderful one called Chicken Soup for the Jewish Soul. And in that book, the story is told of a British rabbi called Rabbi Hugo Grin. And uh, he speaks about his experiences in Auschwitz as a boy and uh, food supplies in Auschwitz were obviously very meager. They, they barely kept the prisoners alive. And uh, one day he took a block of margarine, which was extremely valuable as a food source, and he used it for one of the Jewish celebrations of the festival of Hanukkah, and he set it alight. And uh, when his son asked him, Dad, why are you doing this? Because he was in the prison with him. He, he, his father replied these words, he said, we know that it is possible to live for three weeks without food, but without hope, it is impossible to live properly for three minutes. Can you see how important it is to keep hope alive? And everything that's happening to us, the circumstances that we're facing in the world are trying to destroy our hope so that we give up and we enter a time of despair. I've seen Christians losing hope and uh, becoming suicidal, getting into despair, 
but we need to keep hope alive because when we keep hope alive, we're about to get through our challenges. Proverbs 13 and verse 12 warns us, when hope is crushed, the heart is crushed, but a wish come true fills your heart with joy. So the opposite of hope is despair and the opposite of despair is joy. And we need to have joy. We need to keep hope alive. Then our hearts will be filled with joy. And it's an essential quality in our lives. I was reading an article by a man called Dr. Arnold Hutchnecker, the late Dr. Arnold. And uh, he was an Austrian-American psychologist. And uh, he was also a doctor of medicine. And he says the human spirit needs hope to survive and thrive. Notice that. Since my early years as a physician, I learned that taking away hope is to most people like pronouncing a death sentence. Notice what he's saying here. Their already hard-pressed will to live can become paralyzed and they may give up and die. So he's warning us here that when hope goes, life goes, we have to guard our hope and we have to guard our hearts. And we are being assailed every day with negativity, negative reports, news that projects numbers, family around us, businesses are closed. We've got to keep hope alive and we've got to have an expectation of good things in our future. Now, the Bible is a book brimming with hope. 97 times the word is used in the Old Testament, 83 times in the New Testament, and God is referred to as the God of hope. In a moment, I'll give you the title of today's message. But notice what it says here about it, the God of hope in the book of Romans chapter 15. Paul writing says here, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. You see, joy and peace come as you trust in him. Then the God of hope begins to come into your life. And he goes on to say here, so that, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we trust God, the God of hope, his Holy Spirit begins to pour into us hope and our hope is revived and we trust God and we live above the circumstances. If your hope quotient is low, chances are you haven't been trusting God and chances are you've been restricting the flow of the Holy Spirit who causes us to overflow with hope. You see, hope's not just an emotion. It's not just a state of mind. Look on the bright side, be positive. We've got to understand what biblical hope is. And we're gonna look in a moment at a whole topic, but let me just explain this to you because I think we get this wrong. And we need to understand the differences between just being positive and biblical hope. You see, people think hope in the Bible is referring to optimism. Look on the bright side, uh, you know, or, or, or wishful thinking. People think, you know, you've just got to believe and wish, you know. No, even if you believe and wish, things don't turn out. And optimism doesn't always lead to a good outcome. It might keep you for the moment, but biblical hope is put in a person. It is the constant expectation of good in the person of Christ because of who we are in him. That's a big difference than being just positive and looking on the bright side. If you think of people who were in concentration camps, they didn't just look on the bright side. No, they had an expectation of good because they knew they had a country behind them and they knew who they were. They were citizens, so their countries 
his military might of whom they were citizens would come to their rescue. That's what gave them hope. They didn't just look on the bright side. And sometimes we can miss out and we can misunderstand what true biblical hope is. And when we understand what biblical hope is, then we won't allow it to die. So today the title of the message is Living in the Power of Expectation. And I'm gonna give you some practical ways to do that today if we have the time. Six ways of living in the power of expectation. Expectation is anticipation. It's believing and expecting, not just being positive, but because God is good, something good is going to come our way in our future. C.S. Lewis said that true faith is never found alone, it is accompanied by expectation. So let's look at the first way we can live in expectation. Number one, we need to choose expectation over apathy and apprehension. Every day when we wake up, we've got three simple choices. We can either be apathetic or apprehensive, what's coming our way, more trouble, or we can be filled with expectation, and that's hope that something good is coming our way. Apathy is who knows, who cares, it's gonna be another day like yesterday, and we can become whatever, you know, lethargic, and that apathy leads to weariness, and a lot of people as they wake up during the season are apathetic, they, oh well, you know, I can't do anything, who knows what's coming, and so they weary, and we can't be like that as believers. On the other hand, people are apprehensive. What's coming? More people are dying. Will it touch my family? Will I get through? Will I get sick? Now, those are legitimate questions to ask, but when you're filled with fear and apprehension, it steals away hope, it steals away joy, and we enter a place where we're full of nervousness and we live in fear. So the one is weary, the other one's fearful, but when there's expectation, then we expect we're hopeful. We're enthusiastic, we're confident, there's anticipation, and instead of being weary or fearful, we're filled with faith. And that is a daily choice. You only have those three choices. You're either apathetic, fearful, or you're anticipating something good's coming. And you anticipate or expect because of who you serve and the God you belong to. And uh, the Apostle Paul made the choice to live in eager expectation even when he faced difficult circumstances. He could have been apathetic in prison, he could have been apprehensive of losing his head, but instead he kept hope alive with expectation. In Philippians chapter one and verse 20, he says, for I live in eager expectation and hope that I will never do anything that will cause me to be ashamed of myself, but that I will always be ready to speak out boldly for Christ while I'm going through all these trials. He's anticipating his release. He's anticipating that he'll get through it and he'll respond correctly and he's got something to look forward to in his life. You know, that anticipation and expectation will keep you alive in difficult, difficult times. Way back in 1965, a naval aviator by the name of James B. Stockdale was uh, flying over Vietnam and he'd flown over 200 missions, but he was the first American pilot to be shot down. And he spent nearly eight years in a prisoner of war camp. Four of those years he was put in solitary confinement, isolated from other prisoners. And he was in a famous prison called the Hanoi Hilton. While in prison, 
he never gave up the hope of being rescued. He knew the great United States was behind him and that he was a citizen of that country and had been sent on a mission. So he never doubted. Eight long years, he waited, he trusted, and he kept hope alive. And eventually the war ended and he was released from prison. And when he was asked how he managed to cope, he said, I fully expected to be released. On March the 4th, 1976, he finally received the Medal of Honor at a ceremony in the White House, but he also received other medals, two distinguished flying crosses, three distinguished service medals, four silver stars, and two purple hearts, and a guided missile destroyer was named after him, USS Stockdale. Well, why was he given so many medals, and why was a ship named after him? That's because he was so distinguished by keeping his hope alive that today in naval colleges all over America, he is still quoted and remembered as someone who kept hope alive. And this is taught to naval students so that they, when they face situations of conflict, can keep hope alive. You know, it's a choice you make every day when you wake up, apathy, apprehension, or expectation. And we must live under the power of expectation. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 27, I'm expecting the Lord to rescue me again so that once again I will see his goodness to me here in the land of the living. You'll notice here he's saying, my expectation's based on experience. The experience of God having helped me before, now I'm expecting him, I'm choosing to live in expectation, in Psalm 71, this is what the psalmist says, I will keep on expecting you to help me. I praise you more and more. I cannot count the times when you have faithfully rescued me from danger. I will tell everyone how good you are and of your constant daily care. I walk in the strength of the Lord God. I tell everyone that you alone are just and good. Can you see, there's a choice to trust God, to remember what he's done before, and to choose hope and expectation as you face challenges. Number two, the second way to live in the power of expectation is to cultivate your expectation in Christ, not things or people. Cultivate your expectation in Christ, not things or people. People put their expectation in others. They expect from people what people can't give them. They expect from governments and from authorities and businesses and economies the kind of stability that they just can't give you. And we have to cultivate our expectation from Christ. You know, you can't even rely on your feelings. You, you say, well, keep hope alive. Let me keep my feelings up. No, no, put them in Christ so that when your feelings are unstable, you are anchored to the rock and you know that no matter what happens, no matter how I feel, I'm cultivating my hope in the person of Christ who is immovable. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, Paul writes about putting our hope in the wrong things. And he says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. You see, your hope mustn't be misdirected. It mustn't be put in things or people. He goes on to say, which is so uncertain. You see, it's fluctuates, it's, it's unstable. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. When you put your hope in money, in the economy, in circumstances, in people, 
even in pastors, when something goes wrong or they move or they fluctuate, then your hope is dragged along with it and fluctuates. It's like throwing an anchor off a ship into sand. Sand can't keep you grounded. Sand drifts and moves with the tides and you'll drift and move if your hope is anchored to something unstable. It needs to be anchored to Christ the rock. And often our feelings are what govern our hope. When we feel hopeful, then we're hopeful. Or when, we, 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 when the economy is good, then we put our hope in the economy. Now, behind all that, our hope needs to be in the person of Christ, who is the anchor for our lives. Now, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 18, the writer says, so we who have found safety with him, I want you to notice that, with him are greatly encouraged to hold firm to the hope placed before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives. You see, when things move and fluctuate, Christ is our anchor and he keeps us solid. He keeps us from drifting and floating and moving with trends and with the tides because when you anchor to him, you are immovable. It is said that in the catacombs in Rome, there are 66 carvings of anchors on the walls of the catacombs. That's where Christians hid while they were facing persecution. And they reminded themselves of Christ the anchor who would keep them grounded, keep them strong during times of incredible persecution. Charles Stanley said, storms are inevitable, our anchor is immovable. And so when we're facing a storm like what we're going through right now, our expectation must be of Christ, the person of Christ, then we will not be blown from pillar to post. It has to be in him, not just in things or in people. Someone once wrote, life without Christ is a hopeless end, but with Christ, an endless hope. Put your hope in him, expect from him, and don't expect anything from life, from the economy, from governments, and you won't be disappointed and you will keep hope alive. Number three, the third thing is this, cultivate an expectation of good things from God. Many people don't expect good things from God because they think they don't deserve them. So when trouble comes into their lives and difficulties come into their lives, you know what they say? I thought that would happen. God's probably dealing with me. God's probably withholding. And we forget that we've been forgiven. We forget that our past has been erased. We've been absolved of our past and good things can come our way. So we must expect good from God, not bad from God. I love this verse in Lamentations chapter three and verse 21. And the writer says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. We're not destroyed because he loves us. And then he says, for his compassions never fail. God cares about you and he keeps on caring about you. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. We've been forgiven. We are loved by God. And so God has got good things in mind for us. And you must constantly expect good around the next corner. As you wake up in the morning, you choose expectation. And you believe that God's got good things. And because of the person of Christ who died for you and has made the way open to, to the Father, you now say good things can be mine. Favor can be mine. I'm trusting for God 
to bless me because he's got good plans for my life. Now, Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations, but in Jeremiah, he talks about the plans, and I'm sure many of you will remember this amazing verse. It's so well known, but let me remind you of it. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, and he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good. In other words, intentions, not blueprints, intentions for good. He says, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So God has promised us that his intention is to do us good and to fill us with hope and with expectation of more good things, even if we've been through bad times. He says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. You will find me when you seek me, if you look for me in earnest. I've got good plans for you. I've promised you that even though you're in, you're in Babylon, you're in a place of isolation, you're in a place of judgment, I've got good plans and I'm gonna bring you out and I'm gonna do good to you. We need to expect good things from God. Psalm 31 and verse 19 reminds us of those good things. The psalmist says, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you that you bestow in the sight of all. God's got good stuff stored up and you need to anticipate and expect good things in your life, in your future. Again, Psalm 107, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. I love this, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Are you anticipating more trouble? Have you lost loved ones, been through business difficulties, and now you're kind of apathetic or apprehensive? No, you need to be filled with expectation, and you need to keep hope alive that good things are in your life, and that God is going to bless you. Expect good things from the good God who wants to do us good. Number four, the fourth way to live in expectation is never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. You know, we attend church and we enjoy church services and we get revelation and encouragement and then we're on a high and we believe God and, and we can take on any challenge, but then suddenly we go through dark times and now we doubt God's word, we doubt God's promises. But we must hold on to that revelation that we received in the light during dark times because trials and storms will come to test that word that we've received from the Lord. And though everything goes wrong, we need to say it doesn't matter how dark it is, I'm going to trust the Lord. Now a wonderful passage of scripture that I've held on to and built my life around is from the book of Habakkuk chapter three. And I want you to notice the first word that it starts with in verse 17. Habakkuk says this, though, though the fig tree does not bud, even though, in other words, when everything's going wrong, when it's dark and nothing's happening, I'm gonna trust what God has told me in the good times and I'm never gonna let go. I'm gonna keep my expectation high. Let me read it again. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines and the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. In other words, there's nothing happening. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. This is a theme of scripture 
Habakkuk repeats it because the psalmist has mentioned it before. And let me quote the Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil for you are with me. Even though. So when it's dark, we remember what God has spoken in the good times and in the light. And we hold on to it no matter what's happening to us. Job experienced terrible dark times. And he kept hope alive because he held on to the revelation of God to him in the good times and in the times of, of, of light in his life. In Job chapter 13 and verse 15, he says, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. In other words, though, everything's going wrong. Everything's falling apart. I've lost my family. I've lost my business. As Job went through such difficulty, he even became ill himself. He says, though it's dark, I'll trust him and I will not give up hope. You see, you have to keep hope alive in the dark times and in the midst of trouble, we have to hold on to the Lord. The psalmist again in Psalm 138 says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You see, in the middle of the darkness, I've been given revelation and it doesn't matter how I'm being surrounded, I'm going to keep hope alive. And I love what the apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 19. He says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You see, in the middle of the trouble, though it's dark, you choose to believe what God has told you in the light, that he's a good God, that he's a God of good things, and that his promises are yes and amen, and that you can expect his favor in your life. Number five, the fifth thing we need to do in order to live in expectation is realize that your life matters to God. Did you know that of the seven billion people on the planet, you are unique and you matter to God? God cares about you. You're not just another individual. You're not just another death. You're not a statistic on a strap line in a news broadcast. God sees you, knows you by name. The hairs on your head are numbered. The Bible says that, that, that a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without the Lord knowing. And we need to trust him and lean on him and know that we matter to God. Someone once said this. They said, if you think God has forgotten you, then you have forgotten who God is. God does not forget us. He knows who we are by name and he's got plans for us and he saw us in the womb before we were born. And so now, even though we're facing challenges, we need to live in expectation because we matter to him. Ralph Washington Sockman was a senior pastor from New York who had his own radio broadcast. And he said, our ground of hope is that God does not weary of mankind. You know, you can think God is weary of you, weary of your problems. He's got all these people in the world with all their problems and he's weary of it and we're, we're not one of the best that's around, you know, because we're not that obedient. But God does not weary of mankind and we mustn't forget who he is because he knows us and he cares for us. Some of you may remember that wonderful passage in Luke chapter 15 where Jesus speaks of the man who lost a sheep and it says he left the 99 and he went out and he searched diligently until he found the one lost sheep. He could have said, I've got 99, I'll have to just, you know, it's only, you know, 1%, you know, I'll have to just take it as a loss. No, he went out and looked because that sheep mattered. And then it says, and when he found that sheep, 
He put it on his shoulders and he came home and he called his friends and he said, rejoice with me because that which is lost is found. And Jesus was speaking about lost people. He then went on to talk about the woman who had 10 coins and she lost one. She could have said, well, you know, I can't find it and I'm tired and it's late and it's dark. No, no, she decided to light a lamp and she searched diligently and she found the one. And then she called her neighbors and said, come, celebrate with me. I found that coin. Even though I've got nine others, the one is valuable and you matter to God. You count, your life counts. God's concerned about your family, your needs, your challenges, your health, your state of mind, your problems, your future, your business, your job, your income. He cares about those things. You matter to God. And when you know you matter to God, then you can expect from him good things. Many of, us, many of us feel today that we don't matter. We're just a number. People are dying all around us. All over the world, people are dying. It's almost like God doesn't care. He's got seven billion, you know. What does another one matter? Just another funeral. No, no. We matter to God. And as a result, we can expect favor. We can expect good things. And we need to trust him. You'll remember when Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them was a doubter. You know, you could have said, well, you know, out of 12 the one doubted, I'll have to just disregard him. And then there's Peter, you know, oh, he also let me down, denied me three times, you know. Well, at least I've got 10 left. Oh, well, there was Judas, you know. At least I've got nine, you know, nine out of, you know, three of them I can write off. No, no, no. When it came after the resurrection, Jesus appears personally to Thomas. Why? Because we matter to God. And Jesus appears personally to Peter on the beach. Why? Because we matter to God. And when we matter to God, we can expect him to come to us. We can expect personal revelation. We can expect personal blessing. We can expect personal rest restoration. And we can expect a great future because we matter to God. Number six, the sixth way that we can live in expectation is to expect amazing solutions to impossible problems. Let's expect amazing solutions, unexpected solutions to impossible problems and not doubt God or live in despair and you know things won't work out. God is the God of the impossible. There's a way forward with God even though we're facing loss and sickness and business crises and restrictions and limitations to trade and business, we need to believe that God can open the way for us. We need to believe that as we move forward, the vaccinations of people will work out. There won't be side effects. People are going to be healthy. We'll get the immunity and we'll move forward to where the population can go back to work. We can enjoy uh, our lives again, our freedom, and we can move forward in the grace of God. What we do need to remember is that one time there was Spanish flu. There was polio. There was smallpox and it killed thousands and thousands of people. And it seemed impossible at the beginning of the 20th century. But now those things are dealt with through vaccinations and we need to believe that the same solution can be found without side effects this vaccination of the entire population of the world can take place quickly we can get back to trade we can get back to business and travel and we can enjoy life again with a God solution in our world I love what the author uh, Charles L. Allen said when you say a situation or a person is hopeless you are slamming the door in the face of God isn't that true? Church across all the campuses today, we need to expect amazing solutions to very, very difficult problems because we serve a God of the impossible. In my book, Finding a Way to Win, I talk about the first female ambassador that the US ever sent out. Her name was Claire Booth Luce. 
And she was a woman that was full of possibilities and full of faith, full of optimism and hope. And uh, she relates a story about a man who was sentenced to death. And uh, he went to the king and he appealed to the king. And he said to the king, although you've sentenced me to death, uh, would you give me a reprieve? Just give me one year and I will teach your horse to fly. And the king actually said to him, yes, I'll give you the reprieve. And when someone spoke to him and said to him, how could you even ask the king for that? Well, he said, you know, I asked the king and I got a year's reprieve. And who knows, within the next year, the king may die and I'm still free. Or who knows, I might die. Or this is what he said, or who knows, the horse may eventually learn to fly. You see, we've got to be full of faith and expectation and believe that even if things are impossible, God will give us amazing solutions. Claire Booth Luce said this. She said, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. In other words, there's no such thing as a hopeless situation. We just begin to feel hopeless, and so we think things are hopeless. That's why we need to keep hope alive and expect from God amazing solutions to serious impossibilities. Expect that God can perform miracles and that we can get through this and that we can recover. You know, when you think of impossible situations and you think of how many people are dying of COVID, I read about a Cape Town lady by the name of Bertha Metzger, 103 years old. She's the oldest surviving COVID-19 patient in South Africa. She went into a mediclinic and they gave her a high flow of nasal oxygen and two weeks later, she was wheeled out healthy and strong. And uh, Kevin Metzger, her grandson, was interviewed and he says that she maintained a positive outlook while being hospitalized. And he says, my grandmother has fought off bronchitis and pneumonia in recent years. And because of that, her, her immune system has become stronger and stronger and more resilient each time. By battling these diseases and by facing them with a positive expectation, she's got stronger and stronger, so her body ended up fighting off COVID. She also has a healthy lifestyle. She does exercise and she keeps her brain challenged by playing bridge. So she's active, optimistic, resilient, and she expects to live. You see, we've got to believe and expect amazing solutions to challenging situations because we serve the God of the impossible. What are you expecting today? Are you expecting the worst? You say, well, you know, you don't know how difficult it is for me. You don't know what my family's facing. I do. We've got to keep hope alive, no matter what we're facing, no matter how difficult it seems, because we not only have a hope for you, but we have a hope for eternity. So if things don't work out here, if we lose loved ones, we still have Christ and we've got to keep hope alive lest we become filled with despair and we begin to doubt God's goodness. I want to close before I pray with you and tell you a story where someone faced something very difficult, but they kept hope alive and not hope just for here, but hope for eternity. In a book called Surprise Endings by a man called Ron Meal, he recounts the story of a 78-year-old minister who was called by a church in California. You know, they call you, and they vote for you, and he took up his position, but very soon after being installed as the pastor of the church, people began to be unhappy. And he says that the man wasn't a great speaker, he didn't have much pizzazz, 
uh, you know, and, 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 and they, the congregation quickly got wary of him. And instead of discussing their concerns with him, they began to gossip and talk while he was actually preaching. Then they began to talk behind his back, began to undermine him, and then they stopped attending. Well, the man had character and he realized this is not going to work. And so he quietly went to the board and he resigned. Well, on the day that he resigned, people were very happy. And as he walked down from the pulpit, some seminary students from the Bible college came and spoke to him. And I want to recount what Ron Meal says. He says, so the students came to him and they said, what are you going to do now? You don't have any family. You don't have any money. You don't have a home. Where will you go? And he responded to them, the 70 age old, he says, I'm going to heaven. Well, they said, of course we know that, uh, but what are you really going to do? You have nowhere to turn, and you've got no one to help you. And this was his response. This is the kind of hope he had. He says, I'm going to heaven. And the fact that I'm going to heaven makes these times of temporary hardship seem insignificant. Can you see what hope does? Hope says, no matter what people do to me, no matter how bad it is, no matter how difficult things seem, it seems like there's no hope, yet I have a hope, and what's actually happening to me is insignificant. Why? Because my life is hid with Christ in God. A.B. Simpson said this. He said, our God has boundless resources. The only limit is us. Our asking, our thinking, our praying are too small. Our expectations are too limited. Church today, we need to keep hope alive and we need to have expectations of God, good things of God. We need to choose every day. Instead of apprehension and apathy, we need to choose. I'm going to be filled with expectation and anticipation of the good things God's going to do. I'm going to trust him for incredible solutions to the impossible challenges that I'm facing. And I'm going to believe that I matter to God and that he has my life in his hands and that he's got plans for me, a future and a hope. We must keep hope alive because if we don't keep hope alive, we will not stay alive. Hope is the essence of our lives. I want you to join me in prayer. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer and we're going to put our hope in him as believers. And then especially if you don't know the Lord, you've never put your hope in Christ as your anchor. You, you may be an upbeat person. You may be a successful person, but you've never made the Savior your anchor. And I'll tell you what, he will keep you grounded in times of difficulty. And you will know that no matter what happens to me, no matter how bad it gets, I have a hope in heaven and I matter to God. Come, let's pray together. Father, we come to you today as the God of hope. And we pray that you'd fill our lives with hope so that we'd overflow with hope. We wouldn't have a small measure, but we'd overflow in hope. Fill us today, rekindle our hope, and help us to keep hope alive. And now we pray, Lord, we don't know you. Would you reveal yourself to us? Would you come into our lives and be our savior? Would you be our anchor? Would you be our rock? Would you make yourself known and would you save us and reveal to us the joy of salvation and the wonder of knowing your son, Jesus? We give you our lives, Father, through your son, Jesus Christ, and we receive the forgiveness of sins and a new hope through Christ. 
in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've prayed this prayer for the very first time, you can put your trust fully in Jesus Christ and to know that you matter to God and that not only is your present life secure because you've got an anchor and someone you can trust, but your future eternity is secure because you've made Jesus your Savior. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 